bless, bless, bless. God bless you. Let's all stand and uh, I'll pray and I'll begin. This is the um, fourth part of a series uh, we're preaching uh, about having an overcoming spirit. What a great worship time we had. Thank you so much for the people supporting our church in their tithes and offerings. And if you're watching this via YouTube, you can do that through our website or you can find the details, I'm sure. But thank you so much. Um, we've got some improvements again happening to the church this week. This will be the last time you're standing on a solid floor, or I mean a timber floor. We're having carpet introduced for the first time. But I'm just so thankful for the air conditioning this year. Uh, we've come such a long way from the school halls, um, the tent for five years. Uh, and you can see outside the property is looking great. Um, and, and good things are happening all the time. And I just so thank the Lord and His faithfulness. And I thank the good people that are making all that happen. So bless you. Give yourselves a hand clap. Amen. All right, let me pray. Bless. Father, we thank you for the overcoming spirit that you've given us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith because he loves me. So Father, we pray this morning, we're prophetically declaring an overcoming spirit for the times we live in. Who can say amen to that? They're saying a remnant church, and there's a lot of connotations about the remnant. They're people that don't give up, they don't compromise. They're the ones that restored the temple when they were taken off to Babylon, and the remnant church under Ezra went back, and Nehemiah rebuilt. They're, they didn't stay in Babylon and say, oh no, our life is here, our comfort is here, we're not going back there. No, they're people that pursue and persist in God. So Father, we thank you for the remnant church that are listening and walking with God, holding fast in faith. And Lord, I too believe that we need to, that we are, we are actually chosen to live in this moment to demonstrate the victorious living in Christ Jesus to all his sufficiency in Christ, despite a world that has gone, that has run amok, basically. <laughs> Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Amen. Knowing the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus has done for us and translates it into personal victory for each one of us and his church. 1 John 5.4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, and the saints say, Amen. You can take a seat. God bless you. Amen. So it's Rosh Hashanah, as Julie said. It's the new year on Friday, the Hebrew New Year. It is indeed 5-7. It's the Jewish New Year, if you're, if you're not sure what that means. 5784, there's huge connotations of what that could mean, and the open door is definitely a prophetic meaning for 5784. It rolled around Friday. It marks the beginning also of repentance, culminating with Yom Kippur 
the Day of Atonement. And so these calendar, biblical Hebrew calendar moments still speak life to us and prophetically help us um, understand these synchronized events that seemingly are still alive with us. So, Father, we pray that we would be able to step forth through the door of promise. We are a people on the move. What we have endured, in fact, is preparing us to walk through the door of promise. Who believes that? And But, but the war, thank you, Gail, thank you so much. The, there is a war over that door of promise. In fact, there is a war to stop you. But the good news is God opens the doors that no man can shut. God is your doorkeeper. I love that. God is your doorkeeper. Stuff can keep you out, trouble, some obstacle, even people might even try and keep you out. But ultimately, I know what can keep you out from going through that door, and that is your mouth. And that is what I want to speak about this morning, the power of your words. In Proverbs 18.21, I just want to give you a little 101. One of the first things that we learn as Christians, that there is power in our words of life and death. I don't want to give you the, the, the whole deal on this, because there's many good studies, and I recommend them to you, if you're just gully rake and negativity and just being reckless with your words, I honestly and sincerely plead with you, um, get a conviction about your, your words that you speak, especially to your loved ones, your friends, your family, your children in particular, and your wife, and the, and the ladies say amen, because our words are powerful. I grew up in a word family Words were very intentional, English folk they were, and words had to be pronounced right, and they had to be used rightly, and, um, and so I didn't, <laughs> pardon, <laughs> or correctly, thank you, Roger, <laughs> Roger from the North Shore, from his upper schooling, compared to the, the Western Suburbs version of rightly versus correctly, all right. In Proverbs 18.21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Meaning that which you say um, in a negative fashion or a positive fashion, you will eat the fruit of both those uh, versions. So the verse reminds us that words have power. And whatever we speak can bring life, or death to the lives around us. We can be even critical, having a critical spirit, bringing, um, you know, just, just bringing basically uh, useless uh, discouragement. But the Lord says our words can bring life, and that's what I want to speak about. Our words say a lot about us, and they have the power to shape our future. Who believes that? Amen. Our words say a lot about us. And they have this ability to shape our future. Therefore, we need to be very careful about what we bring forth 
in terms of what we speak. It can bring life or death. Amen. Choose your words carefully. It can make a difference in people's lives. Now, especially in the compassion children, I'm led to believe that we have 29 sponsored children. Look in the back wall there from mostly Nairobi. We just went through a campaign and we've seen ourselves sponsor 29 children. Now, that is awesome. I mean, it's great to do that. The power of the words that you speak to that child through letter writing, and please just don't sponsor the child and let the child hang. Uh, Use the words that you have, even a single phrase, an uplifting word, something to say that I care and my words that I've spoken by volition of my will and from my heart I say this. And just that short, whatever you might say, can make all the difference to them. Proverbs 16 verse 24 says, Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Who believes that? One single word, one single phrase, especially a a word of encouragement, a word that say, hey, you had you on my heart. I, I got a word for you. Man, that can just be just so brilliant to someone. Any act of kindness like that, giving uh, uh, um, a word of edification, it's a beautiful thing. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So this Jewish rabbi, he's uh, an amazing guy, and I won't tell you who he is, but he's, you know, he's awesome. He shared this striking statement about the power of words, and it says, words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use the force constructively with words of encouragement, or destructively use words of despair. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, or to humiliate, even even to humble, he states. So in your next letter that you write your compassion child, please bring a word of encouragement, healing, uh, something that will give hope to them in their life. Be intentional also when you pray for them, For the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. James 5.16 says, build your child up. That child is yours now. You are are a spiritual parent of that child. Amen? So I I hope that you do. Now, in terms of going forward through this difficult times we live in, the storms, the trials, the testings of life, I recommend this, that you study the Word. I can't encourage you more to do that in order to believe it, to speak it, to declare it with authority from Christ so that you can speak your way prophetically by declaring your way forward through this unfortunate mess we're all in called life and living the existential drama called life. You've got to, and this is the only way I've known how to get through the stuff of life and bring us to a place of fulfillment where God says that you should be, where God says that you need to be, or where God says you can be, is this. It's prophetically declaring by faith that which is said in the Word of God and speaking that through 
your personal prayers, corporate prayers, and especially the prayers of the church. And we love those people that do that for us. And that is probably what I'm going to speak about. And that is my testimony of how we got this into this place here, is prophetically speaking it. From Chapman Hill Lookout, from the community school hall, from two school halls, the community hall, I should say, in Watanabe, and also seven years on the lookout, we're prophetically speaking the word of God, saying, that land is the Lord's. We're looking out over this land when it was just a couple of horses and a rickety old fence around it, and it was just farmland, basically, but we saw it as a place of worship. We saw it as a place where God's people could meet and worship the Lord. And guess what? That came by declaring it and believing it. So who wants to know more about that? Amen. When I think about the power of words, I think about a teenager named David. You know where I'm going with this. He grew up in the hill country of Judea tending the sheep about 3,000 years ago. One day, David was simply out doing an errand for his father. He'd sent him out and sent him to deliver some lunch to his sons, to his father's sons. A simple errand, a situation presented itself. It required a great man of faith. One day when David was just, just doing a basic errand, he realizes that he's in this opportunity. Some would say it was a crisis. Some say it was a great crisis, but he saw it more as an opportunity. He found himself in the middle of this situation where this big Goliath, ten, up to 10 foot tall, was presenting itself to, to God's army. And just this single individual, a mountain of a man, I guess, presenting himself, cussing out God's people for 40 days. Uh, you could call him a weapon of mass destruction. And they were all facing this great warrior, and his name was Goliath. And they were scared witless. But David did not just see this time of crisis and adversity. He saw this time as an opportunity. So David came out swinging, declaring, and praying as he declared 1 Samuel 17, 26. I'm going to move along a bit quickly now. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? David is asking. He's looking down at, he's looking down into the, to, to, to the, to the bottom of that valley and he's looking at this, this, this giant that is cussing out God's people and young David, he's probably about 17 and he's only been tending his father's sheep but he's looking down and something grips him, something comes over him and he says this, then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin. I love this. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And 46, verse 46 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I love this. It, it sounds a bit emotional. It sounds like David just got angry, but it's not. He's, a, he's declared from a position of faith that this giant has defied the armies of God, defied the nation of Israel, and he's rised up in indignation. And he's saying, no, this, this is not right. We're God's people. We're in covenant with God. This, this ain't right. Who's, who's, what are we doing about this? He's looking at, at, the, at Saul's army and he's saying, we should do something about this. David was firmly grounded in his deep, abiding, trusting relationship with God and nothing could shake him. He didn't see it as an adversity. He didn't see it as a crisis. He just saw opportunity. So you know the story. David's been out in the hill country, Judea, looking after his father's flock. And he had faced that adversity that had come his way. The lion, the bear, he'd fought the lion and the bear and all these trials that he'd gone through already. He'd faced that and he'd overcame it by the strength of the Lord, even before he'd heard of Goliath. It was this strength that he had through this intimacy that he had with God, that started to rise up on the inside of him. David had learned to walk and abide with God daily. The Bible reveals to us a conversation that David had with King Saul. And 1 Samuel 17, 36 says, your servant has killed both. This is David saying, your servant, he's 17, this kid. He's got no armor on. There's the, the Lord's army all, and his brother's great handsome men apparently because when Samuel was trying to choose um, a king uh, he was presented all these great brothers of his handsome men strong men good-looking men not not him not him who else you got and here's ruddy David he's out on the paddock bring him in and of course he was the guy and he was anointed but David is having this conversation with Saul now King Saul and he says this in verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. <laughs> so David had, in those quiet paddocks, uh, in the solitude of him and just the sheep, he'd learnt how to worship, how to pray, how to commune with God on a daily basis. And he just had this, he was just so wired, in, I believe, in intimacy with God. He had a deep faith in God. And when this day of adversity came, when the day of testing had come to him, he began to exude began to exhibit this strength and this power and this faith that he had. 
and he knew who God was. He came out confident in the faith, trusting in the promises he knew that he had received from his father, his heavenly father. So the Proverbs 24 verse 10 says, and it's referring to when I guess you found weighed, measured and wanting. And it says, it says this, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. These are the days where we need to have real faith. We need to have real strength and we need to know who we are in Christ. And we do not need to faint in this day for the sake of our family, our loved ones, our people, our community, our church. But if you read the chapter before all this great stuff happens where David kills Goliath, in chapter 16, verse 13, this struck me. This struck me. This happened before in the previous chapter. So Samuel took the horn, the prophet took the horn of the oil and anointed David, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Can you see that? One Samuel seventeen verse sixteen, and the Philistine drew near and presented himself. And here's something else that struck me: forty days, morning and night, this testing was happening. And then I'm realizing forty is associated with trials and testings in the Bible. And you can see that Israel's forty days of fear and taunting. In this story I'm telling, the 40 days of rain in Noah's flood, the 40 days of Moses and Israel wandering in the desert, the 40 days of temptations, fasting for Jesus. I'm hoping that when we go through our 40 days, our time of trial, that we will have this courage that David had. But yes, we can draw courage. G.K. Chesterton once said, he says, we can draw courage and perseverance and hope through testing. And he's quoted as saying, I'm not afraid of opposition. My God is a God of battles. So that's why we're talking about being an overcomer in this day and age. Many people think, and I just started to think, okay, Lord, they need something practical. They need something to understand. What was David? How was he wired? Why did he do such a thing? This was just such ridiculous scenario. 17-year-old um, shepherd kid, uh, not, no armor, no training. Yes, he was probably trained with a slingshot, but you know what I mean? Who was this guy? Who was this young man? Why was he so resolute in, in believing that he could take on this Goliath? And I started to think about the Holy Spirit, and that's why I quoted that scripture, that he had been anointed to be king. Already before Goliath, he had been anointed to be king. And so I started to think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I started to think, it's true, people only believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I know this is probably an older mindset, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just for speaking in tongues. Well, can I tell you, it's not. It's way more than that. I mean, I love the scripture in Acts 1.8. Um, 
where it says, and you receive power to be my witnesses. Witnesses means martyr. That means you'll be able to be given power to be walked into the Colosseum and get eaten by the lions. That's what basically means. All right, let's back it up. Let's back it up a little bit. That you can be a witness in the checkout. Let's back it up. Let's make it a bit domestic. That you can be a witness down at Bunnings, at Coles, at Woolworths, beside the sporting field, at the beach, that you can be a witness and you can be slightly embarrassed and slightly thinking, oh, this is hard, but you know what? You're up for it because you have received power to be my witnesses. Amen? That was a bit extreme, that first version, I know. So Bob Gordon, lovely man of God. I've got some of his great teachings at home. Uh, English gentleman who just released all this great literature on the Word of God and then just, just bowed out. I think he was not old, probably about 60 years of age, but he released so much good stuff. And he tells me that the Holy Spirit, one, brings a sense of God himself, that when we encounter the Spirit of God, he brings us into the depths, into the holiness and the power of God. Did you see us? Did you feel us through the worship going there? We're sinking into the depths of holiness. We're sinking into the depths of this relationship with God that gives us an understanding that God is with us, God is for us. And like the prophet Isaiah, when he was overwhelmed by the awareness of God in the temple of Jerusalem, you can see this in Isaiah 6, verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. Woe to me. So he's realizing God's about him. Whoa, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. Did I tell you I was talking about the power of words? He's realizing his words have been used maybe in, in, in terms of being just ordinary usage. He's realizing, man, my mouth was meant for so much more than what I've been using it for. So he say, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. I'm praying that would happen to you right now. Lord, take that coal and place it on the lips of your people at C3 Tugger and everyone hearing my voice. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then the voice of the Lord says, and if you read on further, then the voice of the Lord says, go and tell this people, go tell that mountain, go tell the Goliath, go tell that situation. That's what that live coal does and, the, and your lips being consecrated, your mouth being consecrated and when you're in that position of being consumed with God and you know you're in the holiness of God and God is around you, you declare crazy stuff to people. Amen? I've been 11 stories up in the NAB Bank of Sydney, acting on behalf of this church, dealing with six, you know, corporate, corporate lenders. And they're saying, Phil, it's the GFC, your church is in trouble. I say, I know we are. Man, you've pulled the rug from under us. And, you know, well, you're going to have to do something now. Well, this David thing came on me. I started to realize, my Lord, I'm in covenant with God. I mean, these guys look pretty threatening. Their language is, uh, you know, it's, it's overbearing. It's, it's intimidating. 
But something rose up inside me where I said to them, with a glean in my eye, with a fire in my belly, with a fire in my spirit, I said, guess what? It's the Lord's church. He wants it to go forward. So no matter, however you guys work it out, it's got to happen. You guys work it out. But I know this, this church belongs unto the Lord. And it was the same deal with Wine Council. I'd sit at a table, 10 town planners, 10, not two, not three, Cam Harvey. I know you've had your fight with councils, with building and development. 10, me and 10 town planners rolling their eyes and saying, man, what's this kid thinking, you know? Trying to build a church on flood zone land. And I'm just saying, well, it's going to happen because the Lord said so. You know what I mean? Guys, you've got to figure it out. You've got to help me, I'll help you. But if you're going to stonewall me, no, in Jesus' name. You come against me with regulations and ordinances, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. I come against you with a faith in my heart and a declaration in my spirit that says this church must go ahead because the Bible says I've been anointed and go tell the people, go tell the council, go tell the banks that this church is going. So number two, what the Holy Ghost does, it presents the dynamic reality of God's power. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we associate God's power often and, and, and it does lend itself to believing you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I can do all things through Christ, Philippians 4.13. This sense of power doesn't grow out of our own inflated ego, but the humbling realization of the capacity of God. Our God is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-stoppable. I just had a persuasion that this was unstoppable, this church, to be materialized and to be built on this land, I had an, ah, I had a resolve in my spirit by the Holy Ghost, knowing that God was with me, for me, and ahead of me, that this church was going to be built. I was a madman, and people said I was. I said, you're crazy. I had financial people saying, you can't do that. Not in all my years if someone has tried to do that, one financial consultant said. 25 years I've been doing this, dealing with all the churches. Never, never I've dealt. This guy's trying to <laughs> tell me how crazy he was, but it was all what God had told me to do. Otherwise, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he wants us to realize this, that this all-surpassing power into the weakness of of our humanity is so real. It's so real. Number three, what does the Holy Ghost do? It creates this immediacy of the kingdom. Through the Spirit, we get to know God is here and now, and His kingdom is coming to us. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is in us. It's affecting in us. So when David was up against that challenge, that crisis, he felt the kingdom was prevailing on his heart. It was configuring his heart. It wasn't just an external. This was doing something on the inside. That's what it does to us. The Holy Spirit is God in the present tense, right beside us, right with us. And it's looking and it's 
asking you to look for ways to honor what the Holy Spirit is saying in that situation. And it's praying, it's, it's, it's interceding that you will respond for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So each time you see the Holy I mean, the, the, the awakenings and the revivals happening, there's that gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I won't go, go into that, but to, to say that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just check that out. Five, an upsurge of praise and worship. David had this upsurge of praise and worship. The Holy Spirit lifts our hearts up, inspires our minds, our imaginations to express the greatness of the love of God. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. Didn't David do that? David did that. He confessed and, 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 and declared the name of Jesus. Number six, what does the Holy Spirit do? And it just happened this week. Unity of heart and spirit. Some uh, believers would only join with other believers and fellowship with other believers on doctrinal and theological matters or, or um, denominational uh, affiliations. Oh, no, we're, we're the so-and-so church. We're, I don't buy into that at all. I never have. I, I fellowship with people through the Holy Spirit, not through a denomination and not through theology or doctrine. I don't know about you, but that's how I function. For me, it's just common sense. So it's a major, a major feature of the work of the Spirit is this, unity. And you can see that. I hope that the church leader's photo is up there. And what that Spirit, the Holy Ghost, does is bring you out into a broader fellowship of the body of Christ, not being insular or exclusive. We have an exclusive thought on God and Christ. No, I'm sorry, that just doesn't hold up for me. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, no matter what terminology that you use, and no matter what finer doctrines that you use that, uh, you know, you might uh, believe in speaking in tongues. I am absolutely cool with that. Amen. But it's one, one baptism, one God, one Jesus, you know, one body, one Christ, one church. And as if we can believe that, praise God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So that was good news, wasn't it, that we were able to meet in the Spirit of the Lord. But getting back to our classic story of David and Goliath, just quickly, Paul does remind us in Romans 15 verse 4, whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might find hope. Father, help us find hope in this story. This great story of David believing in his covenant with you, dear God. He believed and he understood this scripture, and I believe he knew it in his heart. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1 to 5, it's a paraphrase, which promised him this, when you go out to battle against your enemies, do not let your heart faint 
do not be afraid, do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. He knew that he was in covenant to be victorious in that battle. Every situation you are facing, Christ is going before you. He is going before you and fighting for you. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror in Him. You are an overcomer. The Spirit within you, if you let that Spirit come alive by the intuitiveness of your relationship with God, your communing with God, that spiritual DNA will come out on the day of reckoning. If you let the Word go in, and you let it, and you meditate on it, and you, you've been in the Word, you've been walking with the Lord, you've been meditating on the Lord. I can have some keyboards now, that'd be great. And if you allow that Word to go in, that spirit, I believe David had this spiritual DNA that when push came to shove, he just, he, it just came forth, it just come from him. This ability to be resolute to be strong. And I believe in these days, we need to be that resolute where we do have the Word of God, not just emotionalism, not just feelings, not just enthusiasm or exuberance. We need the Word of God and we need to speak to those things as if the Lord had said personally. The two-edged sword the Bible speaks about, the Word of God is the two-edged sword. The one side of the sword is the sharp edge of what God said. The other edge of the sword is the sharp edge that you speak. And that is the two-edged sword that God wants you to utilize in your hand. Amen. The sword of the Lord, shield of faith. But that, sh- that sword, ultimately, it's very good to be able to quote Scripture like David did. He knew he was in covenant He quoted the fact that God's people were in covenant with God. And who are you to dismay us? You know, he basically said, no, you're coming down. Mountain, you're coming down. When Jesus, uh, in in Mark 11, when he spoke to that fig tree that represented Israel, they say, because it had no fruit on it, Jesus cursed it. Some say it was symbolic of Israel not being fruitful, not recognizing Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus, by his words, cursed the fig tree. Next day, he went by that fig tree, purposely, they believe, to show the disciples that what you say will come about. And let's go there. Matthew, let's, that's our last scripture. And these are how powerful words are. So I've given you a little practical illustration at the start, but this is how radical it can get. Let's go to Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus curses the fig tree. This is how powerful words can be. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. I'm speaking from 20, 21. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Then he says, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, if anyone says, he's talking about the power of words, to this mountain, now he's taken it from a fig tree, to a mountain, to a Goliath, to a cancer, 
to a, a financial obstacle, a marital problem, something that is monumental. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes, doesn't doubt. So there's two things, you can doubt or you can believe. Believes that what they say, power of words, will happen, it will manifest It will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's pretty dramatic, but that's the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word. Whatever He says goes. Isn't it right? And if Jesus has said that, about your life, about the purpose and the destiny and the plans that God has for you, for your life, that your body should be healed, that you should be prospering, that you should uh, be able to acquire a house or a job. Or If the Lord said that, that's the Lord's Word. And you can declare that over your children, over your family, over your marriage, over your business. You can declare that by the Word of God and it will be done according to the Lord and the power therein of His ability to make stuff happen. Let's all stand. God bless you. Father, we come before you. Jesus. Father, we we just pray that we, from this message, we'd understand that, Lord, that our words are consequential, that our words either are positive or negative, Father, put an angel beside my mouth. Let's pray that right now. Lord, put an angel beside my, my, my mouth. My, let my, my words be an acceptable offering unto you. Lord, help me not be reckless with my, my words that you've given me, that you have allotted me. Because the Bible says we are accounted, we are judged for every word that we say that every word we speak. So Father, right now I pray, Lord, that you'd give us an understanding by the power of your Spirit that we have the ability to give life to those people around us in our world, that the power of our prayer, the power of our words through prayer are effectual. Father, help me be not self, what is it, self-defeating. Help me not be one that would say, you're an idiot. You can't do anything right. And certainly don't say that about anyone, especially your children or your loved ones. Father, Help me arrest every word in a nanosecond. Help me pause and be arrested by the Holy Ghost before I speak any words that are just frivolous, off the cuff, meaningless. And let me introduce words that are from the throne of God, from the heart of God, in every conversation, 
Let it be like seasoning. Let it give life. Let it be light, giving life and love through the words I speak as I go about my daily life. Holy Spirit, help me with my language and help me understand that I have been given authority to speak on your behalf. Please pray for your leaders. Pray for our church. Your words are effectual. Out of the mouth of babes, you have ordained praise. Help me prophesy. Help me declare. Help me witness. Help me speak words of life. We have the work for the dull guys turn up and they have such a need. And every time we come up against one of them, they, they, have, they, they just feel like they can talk about their, their problems. And it's the Holy Spirit swirling around us. And it's so good to be able to introduce the love of God. the life of God through our words. When you're paused in the, sh- in the shopping centers, when you're paused in, out and about, just one word, just one sentence, one phrase can change their life. Just one phrase can change their life. You don't even have to witness to them that you just say something that alludes to the fact that God loves them. God cares. God's got an answer for them. God's got a, got a, God's got a solution for them. You, you can do that in a moment. I release your words, your God words. I release the words of life that you have on the inside of you. May you be like David who stood up and brazenly ran into that fight, that battle, that intimidation of that mountain of a problem. And said, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the good Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that right, Michael and Bree? That's what you've done. You've faced crisis. But out of crisis, something good, good has happened. Crisis has always happened. But Ed Cole says, crisis can lead to your greatest successes in life. Maybe a change up, because is it public now that you've changed up employment? You're having to leave our shores and we bless you, sis. You have to take a new post in another church to to take on that work. We bless you, sister. We pray that you've learned something from here. Pray that you've learned something to stand up in these days of difficulty. Two months left to say, to have a coffee. and Shane Hutcher, you have words to speak. Declare them. Do not be intimidated by any, anything that the enemy, the enemy would suggest to you. You guys, you have powerful words to declare. There's such an ability. I heard how you did well last week. You preached a whole sermon on giving last week. <laughs> I'm dirty, but you know what? That was, that was a gully rake. We, we're, we, we can handle that. We can handle it. That was like a 50-year gully rake. Finally, I can testify of the goodness of God. Amen. We're not going to. We're not going to be. You know, five minutes. Yes, for a giving message, but you just had to get that out, and it gave glory to God. I heard it was brilliant. See, that's what gives life. That testimony. 
the exuberance of God, the passion of God, the witness in your spirit, and people loved it. Our giving has gone up 30%. That was Lauren. That was Lauren, yeah. <laughs> Jeff, you've got words to speak. We're doing something different. We're not going to bring you to the altar today. You've got words to speak. You've got, you got a declaration in your heart. There's something in you that, that, that needs to be spoken, and it's a shout of the Lord is amongst you. The shout of the King is in you. It's like fire shut up in your bones. And it's going to be able to witness and teach and testify of Christ. You, sir, Jacob, you have that, sir, like fire shut up in your bones. You have the Word of God. It's in you. You know, more Bible than I do. Every time I go to tell you something, yeah, I know that. I read that last week. It's all shut up. Jeremiah says, it's like fire shut up in my bones. You need to get it out. And all you creative people, you need to get your guitars out and get the Word of God out and begin to pronounce and speak and declare those scriptures out of the Bible. Because your vocabulary is not big enough to cater for the purposes and plans of God for your life. You've got you to recalibrate your vocabulary. You've got to use the Word of the Lord. It's two-edged sword, cutting down the enemy's plans. And it allows you to go forth in the power of God. Some of you are stalled, hit a ceiling, because you're not using the power of God's Word. David knew the covenant of God. He knew that covenant promise in Deuteronomy that God would be with him in battle. And he he took it. He took it for, for granted that that was true and real as anything he could he could believe in. And he walked into that battle and overcame Goliath. Ross, what about Ross's words? Oh my Lord, shares around a campfire at Mangrove Mountain at Lawrence's property. My God, the word of the Lord is shut up in his bones. You, your days are not done, and anything. Anything suggesting that your days are are days of silence is a lie from the pit of hell. You are an oracle of God. You're a testimony of God. You're a witness of the Holy Ghost. And your words are powerful. And you're not being egotistical. You're not being prideful. You are a man of God. And we need men of God like you to, uh, to, to, to speak and declare and announce and preach and share. And I declare that over every, every one of you. What about Roger? Man, look at this guy. He's on fire. He can preach. He can share. He can teach. Julianne, you look awesome. Man, you've lost 20 years. I don't know what happened to you. Maybe it was the, maybe it was the haircut. You ladies, you always do that. Darcy and Julianne, I love you guys. You travel here from the peninsula. My God, and we love you. You're part of this house. Cam Harvey, you have the Word of God. Shut up in your bones. You need to get it out with an uncompromising, uncompromising heart. Undiluted. Needs to be, needs to be clean. Needs to be unpolluted. Speak the word of God. You've got that word in you. It needs to come forth like clean water. Like clean water. Jesus. Ah. Michael, there's the word of God in you. And I just pray, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. That Word of God is in you by generational blessing. And all that your father and mother have given you as a deposit of your generational blessing, it's in you not to be quiet. Just be quiet. Quiet is good. 
but there is a time to speak and you will speak and you will declare the things of God. You will speak the things of God and people will listen and it will give life. David, the Lord, there's a word in you. There's a word in you, sir. Just those prayers that you got. Don't think they're idle prayers. Those prayers have life. Those prayers give life to the people around you, your family, your children. Don't think that because you're separated from your family, those prayers are idle whispers. Those prayers are powerful and effective. The Bible says in James, I'm authorizing and deputizing every mouth in this house to speak on behalf of the Lord. You have been given authority to speak the oracles of God, the word of God, the decrees of God. Your words have permission to go before the throne of grace. You have permission. Who said that word access? Romans 5. Romans 5.1. Who said that? Someone said that. Romans 5.1. Thank you, sis. Jesse. This is what I want to say to you. Thank you, Jesse. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. Not access denied, access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Your DNA, your spiritual makeup. Receiving, believing, declaring, acting, manifesting that which you speak. Receiving, believing, declaring. Manifesting. Silence fear.